you know, everybody listening to this, first off, we are so glad to be back and, and having you listening to our, our podcast. We've missed you. We've missed doing this. We've missed the normal of being, well, quote, normal. Normal. <laughs> Are we normal? Um, but, you know, we, we've we been really busy these last couple of weeks. And I think everybody had to transition to a new normal during this COVID period. It's been hard. We want to acknowledge that to everybody that's listening. There's no doubt the emotions that came with being either, you know, maybe you weren't working during that time. Maybe you were overworking during that time. But the, to acknowledge that the change put a lot of stress on people yeah. in just different ways. So kudos to you for making it through. We we are we are getting there. I mean, there's no doubt we have COVID still, but we got to find that new normal somewhere. And I think, you know, coming back to these things like the podcast, making sure that we connect with people and our our listeners um and then talking about our journey during this COVID because um maybe our journey will help you realize that, you know, what life is still good no matter where you're standing and you should always have hope. Hello, everyone. This is Miriam Lake. And this is Sherry Purdy. And you are listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. You always got to find, I'm a girl from with the glass half full, always. And even with this COVID stuff, um, for instance, Miriam and I were, were called upon working at Mercy One. We were called, um, I managed the, the rehab and the, the wellness areas, and Miriam is the facilitator of the wellness center, just to let you guys know. But during this time, our jobs shifted immensely and we were called to help uh, facilitate and help out with the Fury Clinic, which is our respiratory clinic for anybody with upper respiratory issues or the COVID patients coming in. And so, um, you know, that's all new to us. But along with us, we had a group of probably 20 to 30 great individuals across the hospital system with different job titles that were called upon to change their job title during that time. Yeah, they were awesome. And it was so fun to get to um, meet new people and really see what it means to be Mercy One. I mean, there isn't a better um, title for our uh, hospital system than that, especially through all of this. Absolutely. B1 is one of our, our things that we talk about all the time. And I think even if you're not part of Mercy One, you can relate to the the aspect that, you know, you work together to get through tough times. And when we worked through the Fury Clinic. And was, we were together a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, I think that you see the beauty in people in such a different aspect because people do rise each other up in the worst of times. Yeah. They really do. And, you know, I, maybe it's just God's way of saying, people, look at what you have um, and and be gracious and, and, you know, see that family time, that little extra family time, or even that little extra coworker time can, <laughs> can be a really great thing. And look at the people we got to meet exactly. that we got to meet, you we know, met some amazing people and you got a whole bunch of eggs. Oh, I did. I actually, I actually, what she means by that is, um, I actually, there was one of the Fury uh, Clinic nurses who are, um, we got to know that actually has, hens chickens chickens, whatever who whatever does the eggs um and she actually gave me some eggs that i used to buy from her because i needed eggs (laughs) (laughs) because she she, sherry loves going to the grocery store oh yes i do and well the stores were out of eggs (laughs) so they're expensive i I found someone that could provide me eggs during that time but that's just one great story we have a million but you know um 
I think the bottom line and for me and Miriam and just our group of people that we work with is that it, the beauty of it is still that you come back to, you got to find some normalcy, even in the worst of times. And exactly. that's why we're back doing this podcast um, to find that normal. It's a new normal for right now, but you know, I'm okay with it knowing that going forward, um, we're together in it. So exactly. Today, um, everybody knows that with the coronavirus, the pandemic spreading rapidly, you have heard that that suspected link between the coronavirus and the inflammatory condition in children. And I think that's that's on, hot on everybody's mind. So um, it's rare, but in some cases, this inflammatory disease can greatly impact the health of kids. And that's what we're hearing nightly on the nightly news. And I know a lot of people are really wanting to know more about that. And we are so fortunate that we have Dr. Sarah Schutte Shank of Mercy One's Children's Hospital joining us today. So thank you for joining us, and let's just get right into it. Hello, this is Greg Lagan with Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center, and today we're talking with Dr. Sarah Schutte, who is a practicing pediatrician and also a member of leadership with Mercy One Children's Hospital. Dr. Schutte, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. What is this uh, condition and uh, what does it do to children? Well, the coronavirus in general is a, just a normal respiratory virus in children. And so until now, we really just didn't have a lot of worries about how it affected children. Um, and most of them would get colds. We had very few that we tested because they just didn't meet criteria and did not have some of the significant illness effects that adults did. Um, just recently, there's been this syndrome reported, and it's got a couple different names. It started out with pediatric inflammatory multisystem syndrome, PIM, some people call it, or pediatric uh, multisystem inflammatory syndrome, multi-inflammatory syndrome of children. So it's got a couple different acronyms, too. They all refer to the same thing of some type of a hyperimmune response that children are having, suspected to having had the coronavirus in the past several weeks. Um, this this uh, syndrome was first reported in April in Europe. It was also reported uh, in New York. And now we've got cases kind of scattered across the United States, but the East Coast has certainly been the highest number, especially in, around the New York City area. The syndrome is suspected to be caused by a delayed immune response to the COVID-19 in these patients. And some of the scientists suspect that there could even be two different strains of the COVID-19. Perhaps there was an Asian strain, and that's what was seen on the West Coast. And then there's a European strain, which has been seen on the East Coast. And they think that this syndrome is possibly related to the European strain. Uh, the CDC is investigating the suspected link, and so at this point, it just looks like an associated link, but I'm sure as cases expand and we have some more data behind it, we'll be able to have a little bit more um, surety with uh, how this presents and, and how its effect is long-term, too. And what uh, what does this syndrome uh, do to children? Uh, it, uh, it I've seen reports that say it uh, mimics some other conditions uh, that are already known uh, in medicine. Sure. And I think the first thing I want to point out, because, of course, you know, when we hear of anything like this, people start to worry. And so we want to point out that it's extremely rare, very, very rare. 
Um, its universal symptom is a prolonged fever. So some of the things that we've seen in our past history over the last 30, 40, 50 years have had some of these same symptoms. Uh, there's one disease called Kawasaki syndrome that was discovered in the 1960s. Um, it had a constellation of symptoms that are very similar to this syndrome. Uh, we still don't know what causes Kawasaki's disease or Kawasaki syndrome, but we do know how to treat it. And so I think that's the most important thing is number one, this is a really rare entity. Um, once we do find it, whether it's Kawasaki-like or more like toxic shock, which is another presentation, we do have treatments available. We can treat children. This is not something that needs to be um, fatal. Um, other symptoms that we see with it, you know, the prolonged fever is universal. The other typical symptoms are red eyes, irritation of the mouth, lips, throat. Rash can present in many different styles. Um, sometimes it's little blisters. Sometimes it's kind of bigger, more larger blisters. Sometimes it's itchy or hive-like. Uh, swelling of the hands and feet is also something that's quite significant with this. Occasional symptoms, you can have a little bit of some shortness of breath, although that's not the most predominant symptom. Kids are fatigued. They may have abdominal pain. They may have uh, quite significant vomiting or diarrhea as well. In some cases, these symptoms are so severe or progress so quickly too that it can lead to hypotension and some inflammatory shock and cardiac arrest is what we're hearing about from some of these really um, significant cases in the New York area. But most of these cases are treated symptomatically, supportively. We know that we have immunoglobulin, steroids, aspirin, things like that, that have helped a lot of these uh, kids get through the worst symptoms. Okay. And is um, when you said the, the fever uh, tends to be kind of a universal syndrome that you see with all of those, um, is that what a parent should look for uh, in their child? Because the parent knows their child uh, the best. They're with them the majority of the day. Right. And that's what we stress with parents is this is something you're not going to miss. You know when there's something wrong with your child, when they're not acting the way that you think they should, you have that parental instinct. But we would say, you know, there's fevers can be due to so many different things. Usually this fever is not a low grade fever. This is a pretty significant fever. Um, a lot of times it's 102, 103 or above, but even in that 101 and a half to 102 to 103 category. So we typically are saying, you know, look for other symptoms, watch what your child child acts like, if, there's, if their fever goes on for three days or longer, you definitely need to seek medical care. If, it, if it's shorter than that and they have other specific symptoms, certainly call your pediatrician's office or your family medicine doctor's office and discuss it with them. We are here to help. We can help, help you get through these things and help you to sort out information and what to look for as well. Okay. What, uh, uh, what would happen uh, if someone were to pick up the phone call the uh, pediatrician's office and describe what's going on with their child. What uh, takes place from there? You've, you've got the parent's attention, they notice the fever, and uh, they've called. What happens and what advice do you give to them uh, after that phone rings? Well, we, we kind of go through the whole list of what other symptoms they have. What other signs do they have? Do they have a rash? How is the child acting? Um, are they urinating? Are they drinking? You know, what do they look like? What other things do they complain about? Um, who else has been ill? Who else have they been exposed to? Um, it's really going to be very tough to look for kids that have COVID because we just have not done widespread testing, especially here in Iowa, widespread testing of children, even if they're symptomatic. We do have a pediatric uh, fever and upper respiratory clinic. 
um, that we have been utilizing and testing kids. And we have about a 10 to 13% positivity rate there of the kids that we're testing. Um, but most of those kids really have very, very mild respiratory symptoms, if at all. And usually a lot of times it's just a fever. Okay. And uh, so you, you advise the parent uh, to come in. Uh, what, uh, what would that visit uh, be like? Um, depending upon the fever and the other symptoms, we may direct them to get to, we may put them on the schedule for the, our uh, fever and upper respiratory clinic, um, just simply because we're concerned about exposing our other well children too. So we're being extra cautious about keeping our healthy kids separated from our sick kids. Um, if it's appropriate and we can bring them into one of our other clinics, we will bring them in the back door. We will make sure that we have appropriate PPE. We have them in special rooms that have been cleaned uh, after every single patient. We keep them away from the, the well waiting, waiting room as well, too. I think it's, it's interesting, though, that I think uh, the media has sometimes caused us to be somewhat frightened or worried about this, too. And I think that sounds like what has been happening over the last couple of days. And I think we just need to make sure we reassure families that, number one, this is extremely rare. And number two is if they have questions to call us, we'll help them through it. We'll talk them through. We'll get them in if they need to be seen. We'll tell them what types of symptoms or other signs to, to look for as well um, to reassure them that it's not contagious so your other children can't get it. It's not more prevalent in children that have chronic medical medical uh, illnesses either. So I think this is something that it's both good and also somewhat unnerving to parents because kids that, you know, parents that have uh, young children that have chronic medical concerns know what to watch from their kids because we don't know how to predict who this is going to affect. We just don't have that predictive data. So it could happen to very, very healthy people. Uh, and very healthy children. So I think it's really more about being aware of your child, really monitoring the symptoms, keeping in close contact with your doctor's office, and just knowing when something's not right with your child to make sure that you contact your medical provider. Okay. Now, uh, children have not been uh, impacted greatly by COVID, but there seems to be a COVID connection what uh, causes this to um, uh, to appear uh, in a, in a child? Uh, is it um, uh, an infection that they or an exposure they may have had that starts it, or uh, because people are are picking up that uh, there may be a COVID connection? I think that's something that's it's a good question. I think it's a question we all have. The CDC is looking into that. There are multiple people looking into it. Boston Children's is doing a study as well. And there's quite a few children's hospitals that are collecting data to be able to retrospectively go back and be able to put all these pieces together. So perhaps this is something that we can use in the future to predict children as well um, who might be at risk for this. But I think that's a good question that we don't know the answer to. They have tested these children both with the uh, the PCR testing as well as the antibody testing and found that children are positive with either one of these as far as the, the COVID-19 is concerned. But the, the part that's tough to be able to say is, is how do we know, number one, that this child had it, so we tested for that, and number two is how do we know which ones are going to develop these complications later on? And, and the answer to that is we don't know. And so why some people's bodies have this inflammatory response and other people, other children's don't, we really can't predict that at this point. Okay. But what is happening is that it's being studied, um, not just in Iowa or in the United States, it's being studied uh, in England and elsewhere. And so 
like uh, COVID, there is a lot of research that's beginning, and that's another good thing uh, that could come out of it. Absolutely. There's this a couple of studies um, that are ongoing now. And there was one that was just recently published coming out of Italy, even retrospectively going back and looking at some children with Kawasaki's disease over the last five years and to see if these were antibody positive to COVID as well. And, and some of these have tested positive. So I think this is something that we'll know more information over the next months, years, and even longer. But I think this will cause us to maybe even do a deeper dive into some retrospective data. We have around the state of Iowa a wonderful medical community, uh, very rich in every part of the state as far as experience. And so families should uh, trust in their pediatrician to be able to provide that initial care. Yeah, I, I think it, it, being a part of Mercy One is really great because we have every depth, every width of every type of specialty provider all across the state. And so our primary care providers, our, our family medicine and our pediatric providers know about this condition. They know what to do with those children. And when they have concerns or need help, Mercy One Children's Hospital is here to act as a resource to help them through those, uh, those questions. If that child needs to be cared for at a higher acuity uh, than they're able to care for in their local communities. They certainly can uh, contact us through Mercy Connect, um, and we're able to transfer that child and help with that care as well. Okay. And so the uh, scope of Mercy One has an expert within your area that uh, they could reach out to, and then if they need the additional care, uh, great care through Mercy One Children's. Correct. Yes. And, and we do that across the state. And so we have all kinds of pediatric experts here that are just available by a phone call. So within minutes, you're able to get in contact with one of our specialty pediatric experts, too. OK. And so if um, a, a provider wanted to reach out to Mercy One Children's Hospital uh, or or a parent, uh, how do you do that? Uh, parents, we actually have an access to health number that we can have them call. They can call their local. They can look it up online. There's lots of different ways. You can use Google. There are many things that Google can help us with. Mercy One, it can help you find a clinic or find a provider. As far as providers in our communities and our affiliate hospitals, they're able to access any of us any time of day or night through Mercy One Connect. Um, locally, the Mercy One Connect is 515 643 2071 and statewide it's mercy one connect at 1-877-88 and then mercy and uh, uh so if we had uh, uh had a takeaway uh from the start of this uh, uh syndrome appearing in the state of iowa uh what would that be uh to not be afraid and don't be afraid to act as a parent Exactly. And I think that's the first takeaway point is to be cautious, but not have a paranoia. Don't let this overly worry you. It's extremely rare. But if there's things that just don't seem to be making sense with your child's health care, with what's going on with them, with their symptoms, we are just a phone call away. And a lot of times we can give you reassurance and comfort even by phone. Or if we need to evaluate your child, we can help with that as well. 
and virtual appointments. Do those help? Some virtual appointments, some of them are appropriate. Uh, sometimes in children with such like this, um, we might be able to start out with a virtual appointment. It's very difficult to tell, especially when they've got a fever. We really need to evaluate more things than we can see on virtual health. Sometimes looking at a rash, we might see the rash and that could trigger us to say, gee, I want you to come in because I want to check other areas of you as well too. So. Okay, very good. Well, Dr. Schutte, thanks for taking time with us and appreciate the great information. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you learned a lot about this particular illness that's going on with children. And please stick with us over the next several episodes as we examine um, other things that are related to the COVID-19 across healthcare. We also have some episodes that we've been waiting to share with you, but we look forward to putting those out soon. And if you have any feedback or any questions, you can send that to podcast at mercyhealth.com or find us online at mercyone.org backslash podcast. And you guys know we love your feedback. So, and I, and we mean this, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're feeling, what we want to acknowledge what people are going through. And we would love to know what you want to hear. So please uh, contact us and give us your feedback. And as always, live your best life. 